0: This is episode 103 of Reconcile the Isle.
1: What on earth is going on? Rocket man. Puerto Rico. Russia, 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 Russia. Eight accusers. Several allegations. Thousands of cases. Charlottesville. Horrific shooting. Deadly school shooting. The
0: third deadly mass shooting in a week.
1: Category four. California wildfires.
0: Entire ecosystems are collapsing.
1: Government shutdown. I've never seen this country divided like this. This is astounding to me. Reconcile the Isle.
0: Welcome to Reconcile the Isle, where we're figuring out how we can have meaningful dialogue about difficult topics. Today, we're welcoming a very special guest, my friend, Diana Valentine. This is her bio. Diana is an oracle. She started doing woke up knowing experiences in 2011 when she had a waking vision of being in a bed in an ancient castle with people sitting around her bed, waiting to hear a dream she had. Years later, she has dreamt in several countries, in languages she didn't speak, for seekers, artists, scientists, and humanitarians. She practices an unsupervised oracular tradition that has no formal training. Currently, she has few peers. She believes these things are changing as more of us step out of the quiet and into the light. This is a service. This is her art. This is wake up knowing. She uses she, her, hers pronouns and works on colonized lands of the kids and the Gabriolino people. Now, in this episode, Diana and I talk about her work in helping people answer real questions. It's super cool. You're really going to want to hear it. And at the end, she schools my character, Carmela Ravoli, the Italian grandma. Carmela, yes, she schooled me, but she was nice in making some temporary peace with her family. Now, if you feel shitty about the ways you're going in your life and have found that the usual self-help stuff just doesn't work, then this episode is for you. Stay around until the end to hear about this episode's giveaway. And you can always sign up at laurenloji.com slash podcast to get the link to all the wonderful things that me and my guests give away for free to subscribers. And you also will get reminders when we publish this every other week. Today, we're going to do the interview as myself, my co-host, Melania Trump. How do you feel about that? Does that mean I have to go back to the White House of Garbages? Can I still hang out here while you do the interviews? Sure, Melania. Uh, But you got to get out of here as soon as we're done recording or you'll scare the neighbors. Like I did in Baltimore. Ooh, I love making the impacts. All right. So let's talk to my dear friend, Diana Valentine. Thank you, Diana Valentine, for being on Reconcile the Isle. Thank you. Great. So I've known you for for a long time now, wonderfully, and I've gotten to see your work evolve and see the incredible impact you have on people now. Can you explain to our listeners the work you do as an oracle?
1: I work with people who, who are interested in the unknown, you know, uh, and mostly what I do is I work with people to help them find their real question. So to me, the, the most pivotal part of the work is figuring out the real question. Oftentimes we carry around questions that we think are the real question but it's because what we've been sort of programmed to question about ourselves or criticize about ourselves or identify as the problem and i have found over the years that really getting into that real question is is the biggest part of the work and so i work with people's questions and when i'm working with people in um a situation where that it's a retreat or several days or overnight I'm actually actively dreaming and delivering dreams that happen within that workspace. And when I work with people on a shorter term basis, like short calls, people may um, have a message that has come through a dream just by being on my radar, meaning being on my calendar. But oftentimes we're just talking and we're drilling down what the real question is. Most of us, once we found the real question, can do a significant amount of this kind of discernment work on our own. And I like to work in a way where I'm supporting people doing their own work versus giving a message that is a resolution or a fix or some kind of diagnosis. That's not really what I do. So, yeah, I work with people's existential questions through dream space and through intuitive work. Very cool.
0: Very cool. And so what you were saying about like discernment. So I was thinking about that, about how we have like an inner knowing where we can it's kind of like the voice that tells us, like, gives us kind of an indication of what we're thinking and feeling and what might be the right question and, or the right thing to do, etc. And, and then sometimes there's like reactions that come from us that are based on baggage, whether it's from trauma that we've experienced or stuff that's been taught to us that we've never questioned. How do you sort through that in yourself and with other people?
1: Well, all the work, almost all the work that I do has come from some form of work on myself. So what you described is perfectly a perfect reflection of what I call the wrong right and real question. So the wrong questions are the questions that we have that are that we punish ourselves with or that I call them the asshole cards they're the questions that we ask ourselves that sort of stop us in our tracks, and in effect, they interrupt any kind of progressive conversation because they basically represent, "Well, I'm fucked up, so therefore, like, I can't solve this." Those are the wrong questions, and I have those questions as well. And I think a lot of us carry those kinds of questions. The Second tier of questions are sort of the right questions, and I put right in air quotes that you can't see, but hopefully you can imagine them. And the right questions are questions that are socially sanctioned. So those are the questions that turn into self-help memes and that people build products around that are the questions that society or our our ancestral baggage or our lineage or our family questions Let's say you should be asking this question. How can I make more money? How can I how can I be better at X, Y, or Z? But when we drop underneath the wrong and right questions and get into the real questions, what happens in the realm of the real question is that if you're asking real questions, those help you discern the difference between the wrong and right questions and they relieve you of some of that some of that unhealthy attachment to other people's programming or language or or self-talk that we've learned how to do over our life. So, for example, one of the wrong questions that I had for myself for many years was, why can't I just get a regular job? (laughs) (laughs) Why, Why do I always have to be trying to do something new or trying to... Do this avant-garde work, and what what that question did is it just it just made me wrong, and it made me have to con- and I and I continued to try to have regular jobs while sort of making art on the side or being creative in a small way. A right question that I have had, and I I think I still really work with with this question is it has to do with sort of money and structures around my business or my teaching or my personhood in general and what adulting is supposed to look like. Why can't I just be a regular adult who has like a checklist that I want to go through and, or, or even another way to look at that is what is the right checklist? What is my, what is my list of tasks that I need to be doing? That's a sort of right question. Everybody can sort of agree. Like that's a good question. Yeah. We should all have lists. Right. Mm -hmm. But I had a, for major life, um, event and I was really flattened by it and in the process of recovering or responding to that pretty major life shift I discovered a real question and one of my real questions is how can I be more trustworthy and I mean that to myself I mean that being trustworthy to other people I mean being trustworthy to um, steward um, actions, social actions, and and be um, in conversations that are nutritious, and how to know the difference. And so when I got to my real question, suddenly those other questions that I had been carrying around as either self-flagellation tools, the wrong questions, mm-hmm. or as membership uh, sort of a a membering activity, like the right questions. So as long as everybody agrees i'm working on the right question i must be on the right track it just it just shifted those and it shined a big old clegg light on those questions and said those are really not as appropriate or as sustainable as this real question of how can i be more trustworthy does that help you understand it a little bit
0: more yeah it, de- it definitely does and i was just thinking about some conversations i've had with some other people about For instance, I mean, this is like an extreme example, but I was having a conversation with an organization called Life After Hate for this podcast and they rehabilitate white supremacists or I don't know if rehabilitates the right word. They work with them to get out of it, basically recovery, I guess. Mm -hmm. And they said some of the reasons how they get recruited to this way of thinking is that people will ask them questions. And they're the wrong questions. And they're right. like, why do you think you don't have a job? Why do you think you're in this particular part of your life? Look at that person over there. What do you think that person is doing to you just by them being here? They they ask the wrong questions. So it made me think about, like, when you were saying that, like, how the wrong questions. And, and then I look at, you know, sometimes I'll see... Um, for instance, I saw Stephen Miller do a press conference and he was asking a lot of the wrong questions to spin things in order to create um, uncertainty and fear in people. And so I'm I just wondering, like, with this work you do and thinking about the wrong questions, how do you get people who are being spun in the wrong way to stop asking the wrong questions?
1: Well, we all are. We're we're it's a it's part of the it's part of white supremacy and capitalism, right? To capitalize on the acculturation of wrong and right questions. So that's how the billion dollar, trillion dollar beauty industry survives. Yeah. It's how I mean, you're 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 giving an example that really spans. A, a lot of of huge systems that support these oppressive um, structures. So I think you're right on top of it, and I think that um, one of the ways that one of the gifts, or one of the the let's call it a responsibility. I believe it's a spiritual and social responsibility that I do this work and that I help people find their real questions. Because if we're operating on the level of real then there's no question that we're more effective at dismantling these systems of oppression within ourselves, within our family systems, within our local communities, and within our, um, our, our general societies. I think that this kind of work can help activists and help people who haven't, ha- have felt disempowered by the wrong and the right questions to take different kinds of action in their life, to be more aligned with their cultural principles and with things that make sense to them and that they're nutritious to them, but also can help them relate to other people. If we start to understand the difference between the right, wrong, and real questions in ourselves, imagine what that does in a conversation with a loved one or in a work environment, even if someone is If someone is working retail or if we're having interactions with students or clients or audience, imagine the sensitivity and imagine the the capability of those interactions. Or I like to think about the capability of those interactions. So and expanding our capacity to relate to each other and to be responsible within ourselves and responsible with other people's lives and resources and and hearts.
0: It's almost like if we don't have, we're not attentive to our inner knowing, then it keeps like the structures intact, that actually getting in touch with our inner knowing is an activist act. It's some, an action we can take in order to fight against systems of oppression.
1: Well, and I think acknowledging that our inner knowing is, is generally speaking, has been programmed. So there's not I don't have a fantasy of inner knowing as this this core within us that just exists as a fully formed system that we just have to sort of, you know, purge out the bad stuff. I think it's all interwoven. And I think we I think many of us, I include myself in this, we have had to create practices to align and realign and re-educate ourselves um, in an active way, educate our intuition, if, if if you will, so that we can even see what's real for us. I mean, I think it's it's very it's a, there's the sort of cavalierness I think in spiritual work or light work or values-based work or or you know there are lots of industries that are built on this. They're also built from these same systems of oppression. So, yes, I think it's 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 a radical notion that we might be operating on the wrong question. And if our lives have been based on it or our work has been based on it, that creates quite an identity crisis for most of us who are paying attention. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's wow. my response to that. Yeah.
0: And then what so I say this because of a uh personal experience dealing with people um, in my life who I love, but they ask the wrong questions and you see them spinning in this and it's, it's painful. You see their pain when, as they're spinning in the wrong questions, and then you see them also try to put that pain in other people. What do you do when you're faced with someone who's asking the wrong questions, being aggressive about it and not wanting to basically listen to reason?
1: well, i i'm I'm not sure because that's sort of a generalized question. and also sounds like it has some really intense boundary aspects to it and some also some membership questions about, you know for for many of us, operating the wrong question really supports our family system, us agreeing to that line of questioning, us participating in that. So I think there's something happening there. And there's also a, a boundary piece about, you know, how how we have healthy boundaries. You know, Randy Buckley does some beautiful work um, called Healthy Boundaries for Kind People. And I think that there is a lot of room to do boundary work for, for us as individuals and creatives, but also for our systems. And I think there's a great. Uh, you know, just just as just as many qualities that are cultivated by white supremacy are are celebrated in commerce and in industry, in entertainment and in, in a variety of places, those systems don't get dismantled by the system itself, right? So we have to use completely new tools and completely new ways of interacting, and that requires a kind of dismembership from a lot of the systems that we benefit from right now, even when we're in our wrong question and our right question, right? We get a lot of support in the wrong question. We get a lot of support for ruminating and for being in distress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there are a lot, a lot of people are, are very happy to sell you stuff in those positions. So, yeah. So, so we're looking at it from a lot of different places. I would say that, you know, there's a lot going on out there about, you know, just surgically removing people or places or interactions that are unpleasant to us or or that um, are threatening to us. I think that's another form of violence. I think that also comes out of those oppressive systems, and I I I don't think that it solves a lot. So so I think m- my first inclination is step back a little bit and see where your real question can help you in that situation, but also where your real question can help you construct um, a way of relating to people who you may love, but disagree with.
0: Mm, yeah, that's very wise. <laughs> and then when you said like about, you know, how there's a move to, to like remove people, that's another form of violence. Then what would be the solution for that? What do we do when, when we are faced with people who are in that mode that folks want to remove them,
1: Well, it's, I can't speak for all those situations, but I think that this is really I mean, at least the, the work that, that I'm experiencing with my you know fellow practitioners, my community of practice and my friends and my clients, this sort of underground work at the moment, right? It has to sort of operate in a way outside of that system that created those situations. Again, I I would go back to, if I'm oriented in my real questions, I'm less threatened by those situations, but also I might then be more curious about whether that person is operating from a, a wrong or right position and how I might be able to have a different perspective on what it is they're saying and how investigating my own real question can help me create support and functioning structures or infrastructure in my life where maybe that doesn't have as big of an impact or where I can take a different tack on it so that the personal attack doesn't then ricochet me back into the wrong thinking with them, right? I'm not going to go in there and match that energy and try to be in that wrong question because it's very seductive, right? Remember, membership is woven throughout this. So I have many more benefits in my life in a certain kind of way hanging out in the wrong and right realms because I'm going to have a lot of company, right? I'm going to have a lot of people who are proposing that they have a solution for it. And so I think the radicalization, at least from from my perspective, has been in honing in on what's real for me and trying to have conversations with people about the real question or the real the real problem, and that's for me created a lot of creative solutions that I wouldn't otherwise have had. I think if I'd hung out in the wrong questions with people or engage those fights or continue to engage those those fights and those conflicts and and continue nurturing that tension that's on a completely wrong topic <laughs> you know yeah
0: yeah absolutely and and so you know I think that goes to. Like when some of the work we've done together is like understanding that when you're bristling sometimes at other people, um, so you might say that person annoys me, that person, I can't work with that person for whatever it is that it teaches you a little bit more about the unconscious agreements you've made with yourself and in what you align with. And so that is in, in part, I guess, asking the right questions to yourself. Well, the real ones. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The real questions, the real questions. No, it's okay. Yeah.
1: You see, it's, 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 it's so in us, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, and I also, I also really feel that there are so many options that are difficult to see when we're hanging out in the wrong or right questions where literally we have blinders on because those, structures have been created by i think other people and by other people's need to survive and and ways of being that we if we agree on then we can be together in that and sometimes working in the real question is isolating and it's not meant to be like that forever at least from my perspective so yeah it's it's a practice and we're and we're going to be cycling through the wrong and right questions through our whole life, we don't just go, Oh, I'm, I'm just not doing that anymore. That's yeah. like another form of self-violence. It says like, Oh, everything I've done before now is wrong. So <laughs> we have to like do it the right, the right way now, or the real way right now. It's, it's not, it's not a uh, mechanical. Interesting. And I also don't, I don't, I also really don't believe that we have to be all or nothing with the people around us we we all got hazed in this these systems of oppression all of us and some of us are benefiting more than others obviously but i used to sort of feel like i just need to move away from this person or this system or away from this conversation or away from this institution that's really propagating these systems of oppression and i feel a little bit differently about it now or maybe i can tolerate Maybe I can tolerate it more now. I don't know.
0: Hmm. Now, I'm not sure. And you, you tell me if this is not possible because of confidentiality, et cetera. But I'm just curious if you have like an example for us about how someone has, was asking the wrong questions and you help them move towards the real questions.
1: Well, I give you my personal example. And that is something that I continuously work on. So it's not I'm I still ask wrong questions. I still find myself in in lulls where I'm ruminating on something, and I and I feel like I can't, it's like a spider web. I just can't get out of it. And oftentimes I will use other people to reflect back to me much like I do with the people who I work with to help me see through it or help me see where I'm obsessing on something that has no possible return except continuing my own hobbling. Right. So, um, I'm trying to think of examples that would be sort of linear in a way, because as you know, in working with me, it's, it's not always linear, right. It's not, um, yeah. it would be hard for me to put into a bullion cube, the work we've done over the years, for example. Yeah. Right? yeah. But I think that, that my example is, is, pretty representative of a lot of people's experiences. So for example, sometimes someone will come to me about a conflict with their career or career choice or a shift in their career. And a a wrong question is why can't I just move up in this company and get what I came here for, you know, a certain level of of prestige or a certain position or a certain level of power, right? That to me is kind of a wrong question because it makes the problem be about the individual and also doesn't really take into consideration that you might be in the wrong place, right? Or that initial consideration or that initial objective might have been a little bit off base for the person living it. Uh, the right question would be, you know, what are the stages of advancement and how do I leverage my current position to get where I want to go, right? We're still in an area that doesn't really take into consideration a deeper question of of drivers of why, why you're there and what, what really is your intention. But it also lets us find membership with other people and say, okay, that's a right question. That's a functional question. That's something you could actually take action on and join the management training program or get your master's degree while you're still at this company. Whatever those things are, all those machines have lots of fabulous fiery hoops for us to jump through. But underneath that, one of the real questions for this person who I'm thinking about who has also worked with me publicly, so they are, you know, they're fine with me sharing this, but I think this could be any number of people's question. Underneath that was how much sacrifice is enough for me to feel satisfied that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Wow. So if we work there... Can you see how working there and trying to sort that out and tease that out and investigate and be curious and be kind with ourselves while we're looking at appropriate sacrifice? Can you see how that would then reframe the questions in the wrong and the right?
0: Yeah, it's it's profound. Right. It's at the core. It feels like a core, real question.
1: It's so deep and it affects so many realms of our life, not just the job question. So I think one of the one of the services or one of the offerings that I'm making with my work is that even though that information came directly from my client, I reworded it and I gave it back to them because I was listening between the lines of what they were saying and the way that they were telling stories. To even have sacrifice pop up. So I'm looking at some, some, a few different tracks of information. Of course, I'm unattached, right? I'm not a relative. I'm not a friend. I'm not vested into whether or not they move up in their company. It's, it's, it's not, that's not really my concern. So I think being an observer, I mean, an, an educated and a practice observer, this is, we're eight years, eight and a half years in now, at least I am with this work. I can hear things that you've provided me, but I'm giving them back to you to work on. And they're often, you know, they're often met with a sort of a kind of awe, you know, of, wait, oh, my God, oh, wait, that, I see how that played out in my childhood and in my this and in this relationship and in this job and in oh my gosh, this is huge. Okay, what do I do with it now? (laughs) Right, Mm -hmm. And that's then where some really productive and profound work can happen. So I do think that we have access to this information, Lauren. I don't think that I'm special in the sense that no one else can see what I see. I just think we don't have a lot of practices in place and the systems of oppression do not want us asking the real questions because then we become liberated and we become fueled into action to dismantling some of these systems that put us in the wrong and right zone anyway.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Now what, what is something, this might be the wrong question, but what is something that if someone's listening to this right now and the idea of what you're talking about of the questions and the questions they might be asking in their own life is really resonating. What is one thing they can do to to start themselves along that journey? Obviously, your work is fundamentally helpful, but something that they can just do today.
1: Okay. I think we can take this structure we've been working with and, and turn it into an operational tool fairly easily. So when you are ruminating and when you are pondering your discomfort, whatever version that is. Ask yourself, is this question, Is am I punishing myself with this? Is this question sanctioned by some other system and seems like the right question because I can, I can ratify it with seven to ten other people? Or does this question sit and inside my body in a way that resonates and that lets me know this is the real question or this is on a level of realness? And I think you can do that in your car. I think you can do that, in your, you know, while you're scrolling Instagram and you're having some feelings about something and something's coming up or you see an example of something and you think, oh, that makes me feel like a shitty human being. OK, that's probably in the realm of the wrong. Oh, this seems like a good question that someone else has. Someone else put that in a meme and that got to me right away. And maybe that's the right question because it's not really mine, right? It's a sort of like communal agreement that this is the question we should be asking. Or does this question run through my body and want to be watered and fed? And is this a question that I might want to share with someone really close to me and feel like I'm, I'm really, I'm really onto something, a question that helps me answer other questions or helps me, dismantle my self-loathing and um, my lemming behavior, right? I think that people can do that discernment fairly easily. I think that what happens is we just often don't stop, right? We're just, those are the questions and those are the questions I've always had. So I'm going to cling mm. onto these questions with white knuckles because I haven't answered them yet, <laughs> right yeah. yes. So I'm gonna stick my heels and I'm gonna dig in, right I'm gonna double down on the wrong question, which is, I think, you know, I think it's a trauma response in, in a lot of cases and also and I'm not a trauma expert um, at all. I'm not a trauma uh, professional, but I do um, refer people to um, trauma-based counseling and um, practitioners. And I'm not a therapist, and I have a, a great referral base for therapists, at least in the L.A. area. But I do feel that on a spiritual and on a an energetic level, we can learn how to tell the difference between treating ourselves like shit, trying to belong because it seems like the right thing to do, or really doing our deep, real work. I, I do believe we we know the difference. And most of the people who come to me may have a sense of their real work but don't know how to get through the maze of the wrong and the right Mm. to get there or they've truly come yielding and saying i i have tried to identify my purpose my um, assignment here and i just can't i can't find it help me figure out what my obstacles are and that's fairly Mm. common so I think we need to work on this because we need to be fully expressed. I mean, you're you're really in a full express creative expression in in your work, Lauren. I'm so glad to see it. It's so profound. Your consistency, your availability to respond to yourself and your 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 own individual urge to create, but also the way that it's impacting other people. It's showing people what the possibilities are. And you are a constant pr- practitioner. You're really an elite athlete of, of this um, socio comedic work. And I, I'm, I really am moved by it. And I'm glad you're doing it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I, and I honored so much of um, the work we've done has helped me be able to just stand in that power by asking and being more in tune with the right, the right questions.
1: The real ones, yeah. The real,
0: sorry, again, oh my goodness. I'll <laughs> put it on my, um, put it on a piece of paper and hang it on the wall. Because it is, it's just so programmed. Speaking of that, my character, Carmella Ravoli, who you know, and for everyone else out there, she's an Italian grandma who lives in Boca Raton, Florida, likes martinis and parliaments, and sitting by the pool in her bridge club. That's her thing. And so she has a question for you, if you're open to it. Diana, you know, what I got to say, I love I love the thing about the right questions cuz all I get are the wrong questions. Oh no, sorry, the real questions. I'll send you to my to my sister Rosa, all she does is ask me wrong questions all day long in 55 phone calls, but that's another story. So, you know, I I'm popular on the internet. You know, my gay nephew set it up for me. I review Game of Thrones cuz I like to drink a martini and I have some fun things to say. So, I like Game of Thrones because of the violence, you know, it just, you know, it's just so much gore. It just makes me, it's just so entertaining. You know, the violence is why I watch Game of Thrones. And my niece calls me all the time and she tells me that the violence and the way we like it is indicative of bop, 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 bop. So she's trying to ask me questions all the time, but I feel like she's also raining on my parade. So how do you deal with someone who's constantly asking you questions, but they're doing it in a way that's somewhat nagging?
1: Carmela, thank you for asking me that. Do you mean what, what should you do in those conversations with your niece?
0: Yes, because all I want to do is hang up with her because she just is constantly telling me, you know... A, all these things and asking me all these things about violence and da 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 da. So how do I handle her? I think she's trying to get what you're talking about, trying to ask deeper questions about the things we see every day. But she's doing it in a way that is annoying. I don't know how to say it.
1: Well, I can just respond to y- to you, and I can say, you know, you're a grandma. You've lived a lot of you've lived a lot of life. You know what you want. You know what you like. It's okay for you to be pleased and pleasured by what you're pleased by. That's all right, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, Martini, yeah. Game of Thrones.
1: Yeah. So can you enjoy your life without your niece enjoying your life? Yeah, of course. I mean,
0: I enjoy it regardless, really. But
1: yeah. So how 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 does her her reign... How does her reign affect your parade? You sound strong. You sound aligned. You sound like you know what you like. Enjoy it.
0: That's true. It makes me not like my niece. And that, you know, I feel a little bad.
1: Well, you know, I, I'm kind of curious about your niece. I'd be curious to to talk to her about what pleases her and how she's able to receive like joy and pleasure in the world and whether that might be something that she'd like to work on. I don't know. I'm not going to diagnose your niece. I'm just curious. What Mm. do you think about that?
0: I think that's probably accurate because I think sometimes she's so worried about all the things that are wrong that she's not looking around. You know, I like to, I like sitting by the pool. I say, I light up a parliament. I look around at the the trees and flower to the palm trees. And I think, you know, life's okay. I take a few minutes for that, and I don't think she does that at all. But I have to ask her, about, I have to ask her the real question about that.
1: Or just invite her to sit by the pool and look at the trees and have a smoke.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's a, not that complicated. I'll get, I'll get, um, I'll get a vape pen. I'll be, I'll, I'll show her I'm, I'm, da- I'm with the, with the young people.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: Make peace. Make, make peace with pleasure make peace with the vape pen all right <laughs> all right thank you diana now where can people find out more about you and your work just on my website diana com. great and should people follow you anywhere on social media where would you prefer they have a touch point to get to know your work more and interact more with what you're um, doing
1: um I think that Patreon and Instagram are probably my two my two places that I hang out the most, but I'm certainly findable in other places. And I, I really enjoy direct contact. I have my phone number and my email on easily findable on my website on every page. I actually mean to have many more sort of contacts that are with people directly. So I invite people to sort of come a little bit closer, you know? Mm, great.
0: Thank you so much, Diana, um, for the work that you do and for being on the podcast today. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me and thank your grandma. <laughs> You're welcome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Melania, what did you think of this interview? I want to make it clear that I will never ask questions beyond What is my next facial appointment? Well, Melania, if you started to inspect your inner life, I'm certain you would have a nervous breakdown. What are you saying, Some things. Okay, so for the rest of us, we can start thinking about where we are asking the right, wrong, and real questions. And understand that the system is freaking set up to lead us to a path of misery, so we gotta resist let me know how it goes for you. Before we go into the I Don't Care to You segment, I'd like to talk about a few things. First, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really, really helps other people find us. Second, I want to thank everyone who has made this podcast possible. Thank you to Sophia Reyes-Jones for editing, to Devin Edwards for creating the intro, Maddie McLennan for making the podcast art, and a shout out to Alan Walters, Danny Holtz, and Craig Franson who helped me conceptualize this podcast? And of course, thank you to Diana Valentine for being such a wonderful guest. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at LaurenLogi. That's L-O-G-I. And do consider signing up at LaurenLogi.com/slash podcast to get the free stuff from me and my guests. This episode, we're giving away a free PDF of all the wonderful book recommendations that I have for you about how to make creative introspection a habit. I'm still working on it. I should probably reread all those books. So go over there and you can get that for free. And if you want to catch one of my shows, I do stand up in character as Melania Trump. And I have a tour coming up next May and June. Then go over to laurenlogiecom shows and find out when to catch me live. And of course, join my list over there to find out when my satirical book, Inside Melania, What I Learned About Melania Trump by Impersonating Her, comes out. It's very soon. Very exciting. Listen, we have to learn how to have public dialogue again. The world's on fire and we've got to talk about it. And there is no better way to understand the importance of this than by reading the headlines. So Melania... Give us the top headlines in the I Don't Care Do You segment. Here's all the things that I don't care do you about. North Korea just fired off a few more rockets. There are protests in Iraq. There was a fourth major fire at the petrochemical plant in Texas this year. Four people died and 16 went missing in a failed Mediterranean crossing. Impeachment support is growing and... Who knows what my trumps will do to save himself. But I don't care, do you?